Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Emner Holman. What am I paying attention to today? Generosity. Often when we hear that word, we think of being generous with our money. We think of people who give money to charities and maybe they volunteer. But generosity is also just a way of being. People who are generous, you could ask them, hey, can I pick your brain about something? And not only would they say sure, they would feel honored to help you on your road. People who are generous, you would say, hey, that thing that you're eating right now looks (laughs) really good. Can I trade you a bite of mine for a bite of yours? And they would say, either I would love a bite of yours or I don't care about a bite of yours, but yes, please have a bite of mine. So I wanna encourage us and I'm encouraging me to expand our idea of what it means to be generous. As we think about being generous with our time, being generous with the gifts of our life and our experience, being generous with our wisdom, being generous to mentor other people along their way. I believe that the world will continue to be a better place when we all embrace generosity, which brings me right to my guest for today, because he is a super generous guy. Jay Steinfeld founded and was the CEO of Blinds.com. Okay, now catch this. Blinds.com was the world's number one online window covering retailer. Jay created this from nothing in 1996 for just $3,000 out of his garage. And it was eventually acquired in 2014 by Home Depot. Jay remained its CEO and later joined the Home Depot online leadership team. He's also written a really wonderful book called Lead from the Core, The Four Principles for Profit and Prosperity, which is also a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I encourage you to check it out. Welcome, Jay. Janine, thank you. That was awesome. Appreciate that so much. You are very welcome. And when I think about generosity, 
you are one of the people that I think about because I reached out to you. I had heard you on another podcast and I reached out to you and you immediately were like, yes, of course, I would be happy to come and be on your podcast. And so I love the way that you show up in the world. And I really want to appreciate you for that. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're welcome. So Jay, tell me, what is something that you have become aware of, both while you were at Blinds.com, when you were at Home Depot, or at any other time in your professional life? What have you become aware of that people either intentionally or unintentionally aren't paying attention to? And what's the cost of that? Well, there's a lot of things people are not paying attention to, their health, just what's going on at that moment, and they're distracted by something else. But if we want to stay on the topic of generosity and people in general, I think people have this idea that you're supposed to be stingy, that in order to make a lot of money, you don't spend a lot of money, and you do the least amount possible and see if you can get away with it. How little you can train your employees, how little you can pay them, how little you can give your customers and see if you can cut away some of the quality without them noticing. Generosity is just the inverse of that. What it means is, what is the most you can give to people? What is the most you can give to your customers and still be in the long-term best interest of the business? When you start doing that, you think, well, I'm not going to not train my people because if I train them, they'll get really good and I'll make more money. And if they know that I care about them and I'm being generous with my attention and listening to them, they're likely to stay. And our turnover at Blinds.com was only 8%. So when you have low turnover, you have low employment cost. And low turnover means higher profit. And that means when you know people are going to be staying, you can invest more in people because you're not going to invest in them and all of a sudden they go out someplace else. And because turnover is so high in so many places, you're afraid to invest. And it is generous to help people become the best they can be. That was our mission at Blinds.com, literally to help people become better than what they ever believe possible. And when people know that, that it's not just a slogan or just an idea or something that you've put on a plaque on the wall by the HR department, that you really mean it and that you put your actions behind it, and that you are attentive to people. And when they say, you know, I think I'd like to ask you a question and say, well, why don't you schedule something with me? Just go to their desk and say, what is it? Just go right there and say, what do you have on your mind? Tell me about it. People will stay. People will do so much more than what you ask. In fact, you don't even have to ask. It's the way you can be a much better leader by not having to tell people what to do. People don't want to be told what to do. They need to know where you're going. And another way to be generous is to make it clear as to where you're going. Know where is that vision that you're going to and how does that person fit in? And when you do all these things, people feel really good about themselves and they feel that they're getting better as a result to being in your presence. They feel that they're becoming a better person because they're working at blinds.com, not because they're achieving $100 million or $500 million in sales, but because they're becoming better. And when they become better, they're better not only on the job, but they're better at home. They're better with their children, with their significant other. 
they're better in their communities. And that becomes an organization that is like autonomous excellence, where the company just gets better and better and better because everybody feels compelled to be generous, not only to themselves, but to everyone else. So you have everybody getting better, everybody evolving, everybody being generous with their time and attention and helping everyone else. It's awesome. You can just step back and say, you don't even need me. So I left finally a couple of years ago. It was an easy decision. It was like, you guys don't need me anymore. I've done my job. I love what you're talking about here. And what you're talking about here is the way that I work with organizations. Those are the kinds of organizations that I work with leaders to help them build. And it can be a tricky thing because if you're coming into an organization as a consultant, as I am, so I'm coming into an organization and they have their organization already and they have the good things they're doing and they have the not so great things they're doing and they have the very dysfunctional things that they're doing. And so I say to the CEO of the organization, here's how we can create it to be in the future. You're having problems just like everyone else with the great resignation. And maybe you're having some more problems because you've never trained your leadership team or you've never trained your mid-level managers. And so how would you suggest, whether it's me or somebody else or a CEO who's listening out there, how would you suggest they start making that transformation in the organization? Because making that choice to start to devote those resources. And whether we're talking about time or energy or money, those are essentially our three main resources that we have. So whether we're talking about devoting organizational time or organizational money or organizational energy to this effort to have our people be more engaged, to have our people be really thriving as part of the organization and feel that sense of commitment and ownership and a psychological safety at work, all of which is what you're talking about, how can someone get started on that road? And how do you deal with overcoming the fear of spending the money? And all the pundits say we may be going into a down economy yet again. And so it feels more scary to devote those resources away from what we think of as the bottom line and to our internal operations? Janine, that's a good question. But the answer doesn't have to be more money. It doesn't have to be money that you're giving. We started this whole podcast with the idea that generosity is not necessarily about money. It could be something like this. How about spending time every month with uh, your direct reports and just asking them, what do you want? Where do you want to be in five years? What am I doing that you want me to keep doing or you want me to stop doing or you want me to do more of? That doesn't cost anything. What does that do? What that does is it says, you're important to me and I care about you and I want to make sure you are happy. Not just that I want you to do what I told you to do. In fact, I would like you to do more than I told you to do because you probably know more about what you should be doing than I do. So ask, just ask questions. And then listen and do something about it. If they say something like, if, if you're really making them feel safe and you mention safety, then that they won't be afraid of saying something like, in five years, I want to start my own company. Now, a lot of leaders will gulp and go, oh, man, this person's on their way out. I'm not going to invest in them anymore. 
No, the people who want to tell are safe and feel confident that they're telling you what they really want are going to be your best employees. Help them go somewhere else in five years. And in those five years, they're going to be so much better because they feel safe that they were able to share that with you. And isn't it just amazing when you have somebody that's worked with you that goes out on their own and does something spectacular? That is a success. That is your greatest success when your people go off on their own and do something without you. That means you help them get there and there's nothing better than that. It's like if you have children, do you want your children to stay at home the whole time? No, you want them to be independent and achieve what they want. So it's really nothing more than that. It's asking, listening, and then doing something about it. Because with you, they will actually get there faster than going out on their own and trying to do it by themselves because you're now willing to help them get there. And people will stay with you because they know you really want them to get somewhere else. And there are so many people who told me at the beginning, you know, I thought it was only going to stay with you for like two years, maybe three max. And now it's 12 or 15 years later, they're still there and they're still growing. And they know that they're going to become better than they ever believed possible still. And there's so much more headroom to go. It's why I stayed in myself after selling my company and not needing a penny more money the rest of my life. I stayed at Home Depot for seven years because we were achieving something greater than we could have done on my own. And the people who were, who were at Blinds.com, virtually no one left for three years after the sale. Have you ever heard of that, where people stay? Because we were all achieving something that we all wanted, and we could do it easier with Home Depot than without. And as a result, we were becoming better. We were evolving. We were trying new things and experimenting. We were having these debates. It was fun, which is our fourth core value is to enjoy the ride. So when you're giving and when you're achieving things and you're experimenting and doing things that you never believed anyone could do, but there you are doing them or almost doing them, that's pretty damn fun. And who doesn't want to have fun? People will stay. How did you come up with the idea founding a company whose mission is to have its people be better than they ever were before that also sells blinds? That is an unusual business model. And so how did you come up with this? Where does this come from in you? I'll make this a shorter story than it could be. When I started, all these things that I'm telling you were basically a bunch of BS. <laughs> I was a CPA for one of the big accounting firms and debits and credits, black and white, just make me numbers, just do what you're told, that's it, I'm going to micromanage you to death and you're going to like it. And if you don't, leave. That was me. The year after I went full-time online, my wife, Naomi, who had been sick for five years with cancer, passed away. So this was 2002. I went full-time online in 2001. So I was faced with some decisions. Just how should I even go on with this business? I have three children. They're young. One's about to go to college at the time. I basically realized I needed to be introspective and understand what makes me tick. How do I define success? How do I define happiness? Things like that. And it was through that introspection, it still exists today, and it's been 20 years now, I realized that there were four core values that propelled me, that when I woke up in the morning, I knew 
that what I wanted to do was to get a little bit better, to evolve, to experiment, not ever betting the farm, but in order to get better, I needed to try some new things. And it was fun. And I spoke up a lot and I wanted people to speak up to me because that way we would get better data, more data equals better decision-making. Those were three of my four E's, evolve, experiment, and express. And then the fourth one we've mentioned is to enjoy the ride, have fun. You do all that stuff. Everybody's having fun. Everybody's getting better. Everybody else is helping everyone else get better. And the business is developing this muscle of resilience because most of the time when you experiment, you fail. I know you never fail. You're learning and and all that. But most of the time, (laughs) it doesn't work. Let's tell the truth, right? Most of the time when we try something new, we fall down. It doesn't work. Now, yeah, you do learn from that, but it would be better if every time you experimented, it actually did work. If that actually does happen, Janine, then what happens is you're not really experimenting. You're taking small itty bitty chances and they're not really experiments, but that's another thing. So really, you just want to get better. And that's what I did is I applied these authentic values about myself to the business. And people knew that I said these things. It wasn't that I got it out of a book or realized great businesses, according to the Harvard Business Review, says that you must experiment, evolve. Of course, all these things do make sense. And there's tons of articles on evolving and adaption and evolution and experimentation, rapid, furious experimentation. I don't know that a lot of people talk about fun being an actual core value and expressing yourself and making sure that everybody has a voice. They're able to speak in their own way without a mask, without being fearful of the ramifications or repercussions. So business actually develops this resilience. It's like when you learn how to hit when you're young in baseball, you learn how to get hit by the pitch. You actually, there's a technique when the ball's coming at you that you can turn and get hit in the back. You have to learn how to get hit so you're not afraid of getting hit and you'll just be up there swinging. So that's what you do with experimentation is you fail, you do all these things, and you learn how to take a pitch. Or in boxing, you get learned how, you learn how to take a hit. So that's what you do. And this business then develops this confidence, this resilience that, okay, it didn't work. Let's move on. Let's counterpunch. Let's just step up there and hit the next pitch. It is so much fun to do that. And people walk in, they come off the elevator, and they, we've got three or four floors. And these people are having fun. We have a call center that has 250 people in it, and they're having fun. They've decked out their desks, and you can see them laughing and talking to customers like they're enjoying it, and people are shocked. Well, because we are helping customers become better than they ever believed possible. When you help your people and you're generous to your own people, your people will be generous to your customers. You will be generous to the community. You'll be generous to your stockholders, to all of your service providers, to your consultants. You will make sure that your consultant gets good data and you're being honest with them so that they can help you. If you're not abundant with your information, how can they help? So I just think it's a much easier way to lead. It's a much easier way. And it shouldn't be this anomaly. I think it's the way it should be. We should bring humanity back into business. And I don't think respect and generosity and personal development is too much to ask. It's just common sense. 
I am completely in alignment with you. And when we think about what's happening with the millennials who within two and a half years, whether we have things we might say in our heads about millennials and you and I both have millennials in our lives, in our families that we're helping to raise. And in two and a half years, millennials will be 75% of the workforce, millennials and the Gen Zs who are coming up after them. And so whatever we might think about their desire and need to have work that is meaningful, to understand how their job connects to what the organization is doing and how that is making the world a better place. I mean, those are the key things that these groups, the millennials and the Gen Zs, care the most about. MIT recently came out with a study that said that the reason that people are resigning in a great resignation, where we have 4.5 million people quitting their jobs every day, up from the national average, which has been 2.7 million people for the last 20 years. So 2.7 million to 4.5 million, that's why it's being called the great resignation. The reason that they are leaving is what MIT called toxic organizations. And the three things that are the most important inside that toxic organizational bucket are organizations not doing anything authentic around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Organizations having their employees feel like they're not being listened to and people feeling disrespected. And so what you're talking about when you're talking about people being able to express themselves to an authentic place, that is inclusion. That is belonging. That feeling that we are known in the workplace and we can be our true selves at work. When you and I were coming up in the world of work, there was this weird idea that we were sort of one person at work and we were somebody else at home. And that idea has largely gone by the wayside, but not entirely. And so what you're talking about is exactly the kinds of organizations that young people need and are willing to quit their job to find. It's not that they have someplace already to go. They're willing to quit this job because they're not having that experience of evolving and experimenting and expressing and enjoying the ride. And so they're willing to leave looking for it. This applied to everybody. I don't believe that this only applies to Gen Zers and millennials. I think it applies to baby boomers. It applies to me. I'm a baby boomer. It applies to everyone in the whole organization. When you say it the way you're describing it, to me, it makes it feel like you're almost placating a group of people because they have ideas that are different than everyone else. I think people are now just expressing it more, but everybody has wanted to have a voice. Who doesn't want to have a voice? Who doesn't want to feel significant? Because you can't do anything of significance unless people feel significant first. And all we're talking about here, all we're talking about is to help people feel significant because you're helping them actually be significant. When you actually help people become significant and they feel that, they're going to achieve significant work and they're going to come up with things that you never could have come up with and they're going to work harder than you ever could have wanted. They're not going to be actively looking. 
they're going to think, why would I leave? This is just too good. Yeah. And my only point around the millennials is that they are willing to put their boots where their feelings are. They're willing to leave. I am the youngest year of the baby boomers. I was born in 1964. So to do the math, I'm 57. And I believe all those things too. I want work that is meaningful. I want to feel like I'm making a contribution. I want to be making the world a better place. Well, my professional goal in life is to create a world of work in which everyone can thrive. And I'm certainly not going to get there on my own, and I probably won't get there in this lifetime. But that's what I'm up to. And that's a big thing that makes me feel great and gets me up every day. And I was not for a very long time willing to quit my job to go out in search of that. It was too scary. And I was brought up by parents who were depression babies and they might not have quote unquote allowed me to do that, even though I was a grown ass woman. But the force of the millennials is that they are willing to leave when they're not getting it. And I think that's the sea change that is happening now where organizations are realizing, oh, crap, we got to do something different because we're losing some of our best talent because we're not internally structured the way that we need to be in order to have people thrive. I agree with that. But I will say that I believed it before the Great Resignation. I believed Absolutely it you did. 20 years ago. It was really just because it made common sense. But also you went through this traumatic situation in your life that helped you to catalyze that thought. The problem right now is that it's so easy to move because so many people do not require you to work in an office anymore. You can work anywhere. And it's not even expected to be required that you have to come into the office. So that makes the switching cost very low. It allows you to work almost anywhere, anywhere in the world. So now it just makes it easier to find. So what you need to do is to not have people look in the first place because they're happy. It doesn't mean that compensation is not important. People have to be paid adequately, fairly. And there should be no upside. People should be able to make a lot. Don't cap their compensation. Have big bonuses for big performance. And when you do that, I just think people will stay a lot longer. Now, if somebody comes in and offers 30% more money, it really doesn't matter how persuasive or benevolent you are. 30% on top of whatever that base is with bonus and stock and signing bonuses When it gets that ridiculous, they're going to go. But those should be anomalous to the norm. Right. And there are plenty of people out there, and I might well be one of them, actually. When I was hearing you sort of lay that out, I was like, "Mm, if someone offered me that, exactly what the amount of money that I'm making now, plus 30%, plus bonuses, plus this and that and the other thing, I would not just say, oh, my God, yes, of course, because I love what I'm doing. I love getting to help organizations create the best organization for themselves and their mission that they possibly can. It's fun and it's enlivening. And I get to evolve and experiment and express. And I'm definitely enjoying the ride. So I think... I mean, all the studies say, actually, that once you give people 
enough money. And of course, what enough money is very subjective and depends upon where we are in the country and circumstances in people's lives. But once you give them enough money, money is no longer actually a motivating factor. And there are all sorts of people, probably I'm in this category more than not, who are actually not very motivated by money. I worked for a Fortune 200 company and I was not in the sales team, but I was sort of sales adjacent and they would have these big contests and you could go to Florida or go to somewhere in the Caribbean. And I was like, if I want to go to Florida or the Caribbean, like I'll go to Florida or the Caribbean. I'm not motivated by, I want to win this. I was very motivated by what the company was up to. I was very motivated by who they were, how they expressed themselves, what the important things were to them as an organization. And that's why I got up every day. And that's why I stayed for almost a decade. So I think your idea around pay people what they're worth, pay people an appropriate amount of money, and then get to work on all of the things that are actually going to keep them around and have them be the most productive and enthusiastic and the best people that they can be better than they even thought they could. And they'll become great recruiters for you too. We measured our success and our engagement by what percent of new hires came as a result of referrals from our existing people. That's really the true test. It's like a true test of your business. How much of your business comes because you bought it through advertising or because you just had a great experience and people told others about it? When more of it is the latter, when you hire more people as a result of people who were in your company and said, I love it here, you will love it here too, that's a great sign. So I think people should just measure what percentage of your new people are coming from your existing people. If it's low, you got a problem. have an opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You have a problem and you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity, exactly. When we think about customer retention, I was having a conversation with somebody, a CEO the other day, and I said, how can employees be doing a great job with your customers if you're not doing a great job with your employees? I have never met an employee who is super engaged and having a shitty experience at work. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Why would you? Right? Please buy these shoes from this company that I work for that is so mean to me. No. (laughs) A, I'm not going to buy your shoes. And B... You're not a very good spokesperson. And so the more that we can empower our people and have them have that great experience, have them have that experience of growth, evolving, experimenting, trying new things, knowing that it's okay to fail, knowing that it's okay to ask questions. You think about some of the horrific things that have happened in the history of the country They were happening because people didn't feel safe to ask questions, to even raise their hand. In the aftermath of the Challenger disaster, which for those of you who weren't born yet, that was when NASA had a space shuttle called the Challenger that exploded and a number of people died. And it became very clear in the aftermath of that, that there were a lot of people at NASA who knew that the O-rings were going to fail, which is what happened at a certain temperature, which they were going to hit in all likelihood, but the culture at NASA was not safe for them to raise their hands and raise the questions that could have both saved people's lives as well as 
say, I mean, it was an enormous blemish on NASA. And so when we create the conditions where people know that it's safe to experiment and it's not only safe, it's expected to authentically express yourself, then you have the conditions, as you were saying, where you can make good choices, where you can try new things that actually have a good possibility of working in the marketplace because you're getting the right information and data from your people. You'll also be collaborating more because more people will speak up and more people will say, your idea is better than my idea. Let's use yours because that's going to help us grow faster than the idea that I had. So you have less competition between the people of ideas and collaboration and teamwork, of course, is is really good. All these things that we're talking about are the reason why I was so happy to do the podcast with you, because I'm in that period of my life. Some people call it the legacy years, but that sounds too formal. I'm just trying to give back and do that. It's the reason why I wrote the book, Lead from the Core, because I want people to know that this is not this fluffy BS stuff that is just to make you feel good and to get people more included. And It's not that. You actually will have a more profitable business when you do these things. You will make more money, you will grow faster, and your life will be much simpler because you just have these four basic rules to guide you and to guide everybody. It's actually not very onerous or hard at all. It's hard to believe it will work, but it does. I think that is the perfect place to conclude for today. Jay, I want to thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your generosity with your experiences and your stories. And this all obviously comes from the trenches. This is not some namby-pamby, feel-good, intellectual ideas. This is how you ran your business and it worked. It worked and I have, there's so many spinoffs of people who have now, are now running their own companies or they're high up in their organizations outside of Blinds.com. There's scores of them, and I'm very proud of them. And it's this legacy. When you go around Houston, they'll go, oh, yeah, I used to work for Jay. It's so awesome to see that. And I'm just so proud of them for what they have become. Well, thank you again for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Janine, thanks for having me. You're more than welcome, Jay. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I need a political science degree. Take a 
did a grip on my anxiety. So all out of learning a store, reading and training. I'm making 